1 Corinthians 13, the Bible says, Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, and though I, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind, does not envy, it does not parade itself, it is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall be known fully, even as I am fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So here's what we said last week. If you weren't here, I'm sorry. Uh, this will sound crazy, but well, maybe it is crazy. But we said that this passage about love is sort of like uh, American Ninja Warrior. And the reason for that is because uh, as this passage goes forward, it, it gets more and more impossible. It, it gets more and more difficult. And so it's building up a mountain. And we said that uh, much like that show where you as you compete everything gets harder and harder and harder until finally you get to you know Mount Fujisaka or whatever it is and you have to scale up a glass wall covered with Crisco with your arms tied behind your back that's the way this passage can make you feel sometimes if you don't understand what it's saying and I will say again what I said last week that these three messages today, last Sunday and the Sunday before, they all have to go together. And both for the last two weeks, I have left you hanging. And there's no doubt all week I, you know, prayed for those who were here last week but aren't here today, who don't hear today's message. And, you know, I just hope that God will use that message for good in their life and it won't uh, be misinterpreted for harm because it could very well be so. And that will make sense to you in a few moments. So we said that love is not something that we do, it's someone that we meet. And that is the essence of what 1 Corinthians is about. See, 1 Corinthians is this famous, amazing, poetic, beautiful passage, portrait of love, if you will. Well, if it is that, then it's a portrait of Jesus because Jesus is love. You see, only His love is consistently patient and perfectly kind. Only his love never envies or boasts, but always puts other people first. Only his love never gets sinfully irritated or unrighteously angry, but always serves and always forgives. Only his love 
has the strength to bear all things, has the faith to believe all things, and the perseverance to endure all things. And only His love never fails. You see how it just, this passage should be uh, shocking, convicting, and overwhelming if you understand what it's saying. Now, if that's true, which it is, here, here's the, the problem that was left with you last week. So, does this mean that we just, I mean, if, if, if we're supposed to love in a way that endures all things, that believes all things, that perseveres in all things, that never fails, some of you could have left here last week feeling this conviction Maybe even some condemnation, thinking, am I supposed to just love without boundaries? Am I supposed to just be a love doormat? You see, here, here's the thing. A lot of us have very broken ideas about what love is. Very broken ideas about what love is and so one of the most dangerous things I could do is just tell you you need to be more loving and send you home because you know what you would do you would go home and try to be more loving according to your broken idea of what love is and it would just be a worse disaster than it already is now. You see, in essence, what would happen is you would just become more dysfunctional. So what in the world do we do? How do we, how do we apply this mountain of a passage of Scripture? What will this look like? Going forward, for those who begin to walk in it and allow God's love to flow through them. Well, we need to ask Scripture that question. Here's what the Bible says in John chapter 15. Jesus said, this is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. Now, how exactly did Jesus love us? That is the question. See, the question is, when the Bible presents us with something that we're to do, that is a, a human impossibility. Like, I've mentioned this before, but none of you care about it because it doesn't affect you. But my whole life revolves around being called to do something that's humanly impossible for me to do. That's a scary thing. It's very scary. Every week, to know that God's called me to stand up and speak on His behalf, and yet I am humanly incapable of doing that. And so if He doesn't do it, nothing happens. And so you live your whole life in this crazy tension. Well, guess what? Too bad. Rain on your parade. Now you're in the same boat as me. 
Because this issue of love is exactly the same way. We're all called to love in a way that's humanly impossible for us to do. So listen, Jesus said, now let's just think logically about this. Here's his commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. So the million dollar question is, how did Jesus love us? How did Jesus do this? How did he do it? And he didn't do it the way we think. What just popped into your mind as the answer to that question, I'm, I'm pretty positive is wrong. Here's how he did it. In John chapter 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man, the Son, can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Now listen. Jesus says a few verses after that in verse 30. I can do nothing of my own. Jesus said that. I can do nothing of my own. The Son of God, our Savior, God incarnate, said, I can do nothing of my own. And you know, here's the thing. Is that if you met somebody who said that, you would think that they were, it was unhealthy, something was wrong with them, that they were weak, that they're some kind of, have some serious dependence issues. Because in our culture, we prize independence. We prize trusting ourselves. We prize inner strength and fortitude. But the foundation of Jesus' life, like it or not, was a childlike faith and trust in His Father. And so... What this tells us. You see, because listen, here, here's what I know. I know how we're conditioned to hear. And what so many of you want me to do is you just want me to give you, just give you a list, give you a formula. Tell me how to love this way so that I can go do it. That's what you want me to do. And that's not at all what's going to happen. See, Jesus is not controlled by a rule book, but by a relationship. His whole life, he doesn't live according to a set of rules. What he tells us in the Gospels is that his life is completely directed by a relationship. So listen, the choices that he makes, when he, in, when he encounters somebody, sometimes they get tender Jesus. Then he encounters somebody else, and sometimes they get straightforward Jesus. What determines which way he goes? What determines the way? And this is what we do. We read the Bible, and we just go, oh, well, that's Jesus, because he knows he's reading people's mind, and he knows, and we just excuse ourselves out of it. That's a mistake. It's a mistake. How does Jesus decide 
which way to respond, which way to love, how to react to people. How does he do that? He doesn't do it on his own. He, he tells us exactly how he does it. When to start loving, when to stop loving. What are the bounds of love? How do you do it? What all the questions? See, I know that there was a, a, a big contingency of you. You left last week and you were so bent in the wrong direction. You have a dysfunctional view of God. You have dysfunctional guilt over your dysfunctional view of love. You And you left feeling like you need to... And you know what you did? You left feeling like what last Sunday told you to do was try harder in your dysfunction. There was nothing I could do about it. But I know that's what happened. Because you know what? Most of us in this room, we've lacked good models of love. Most of you in the room, you didn't grow up with a good model of love. I didn't grow up with a good model of love. So we don't even, listen, if you left last week, you don't even know what normal is. And then you go and you try harder in the same wrong direction. But listen, the, the, the person of Jesus is the plumb line that we align our lives to. That's what he is. And what we find in Jesus is our ultimate hero. And the ultimate model of love and how to do it. See, here's what he does. He navigates per perfectly this tension between good and strong. See, love, to simplify it, is either good or it's strong. Meaning, good to, to the recipient. See, strong, it's it's. Good love is good and strong love is good, but not to the one receiving it. Oftentimes, strong love doesn't feel good when they first receive it. Right? Yeah. Now, did you notice what Jesus said? John chapter 5, he said, but only what I see the Father doing. He said, only what I see the Father doing is what I do. Now remember, this all started with this shocking reality that you can be highly gifted and effective in ministry and not even know God. Remember that? That's connected to this conversation. I cannot overemphasize what hangs in the balance of whether or not you hear the conversation that we're having today. See, your lives this morning have a chance to count for something because Jesus brought the model of love from heaven to earth. Listen, if Jesus would not have brought the model of love, 
we would have, our lives would have no chance to count. Because listen, what every one of us would do is from the moment we were born till the moment we died, according to 1 Corinthians 13, we would be a clanging cymbal. That's all we could be. But we can count for something. We can live a meaningful life. We can be involved in purposeful activities. We can leave a mark. We can make an impact, but only because the model of how to do that came to us. So listen, it doesn't matter how gifted you are, talented you are, or devoted you are, or how disciplined you are. The effectiveness of everything about you hinges on how you love. Everything. 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 You see, it's in the little moments. It's in the interactions that you have on a daily basis with your friends and family that reveal your true self and that reveal your true understanding of love. And Jesus is no exception. He's the same way. If we, if we look at how Jesus treated people that he encountered, we begin to approach the impossible mountain of his love with an understanding of how exactly we can do that. So I'm going to give you some examples. Because we could literally have this conversation for months. For months. I could preach this sermon using different texts and different illustrations and different examples for the next three months. It's, it's so inexhaustible, but I'm just going to give you an idea of what to do so you know how this works. John chapter 7, here's an example. John chapter 7, look at the screen. Now, the Jews' feast of the tabernacle was at hand. So Jesus' brothers said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. So his brothers come to him, and he's been performing miracles. And they say to him, hey, Jesus, here's what you need to do. You need to go to the feast where everyone is and perform the miracles that, you're be, that you've been doing so that everyone can see this, so that they can validate who you are and, and what you're saying and so on and so forth. That only makes sense. Then Jesus answered them and said, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. John chapter 7. You see what just happened there? Okay, first thing I want to point out to you is Jesus says, Jesus says, your time is always ready. 
implying that. Here's what he says to his brothers. He says, you're free to do whatever you want, whenever you want. You're free to do that. You can go, you cannot go, that's up to you. But when it comes to me, Jesus said, he said, my time has not yet come. You see, because Jesus is saying, you can make your own decision, but I am not that way. According to my Father, it's not time. So even details such as where and when Jesus would go were directed by his Father. Now, here's what, here's what I want you to see. You see that there's a lot going on in this passage. Jesus evidently, clearly does not care about fame and fortune and power. He only cares about his Father's will. Or he may care about a lot of other things, but he preeminently and primarily cares about the will of his Father. So he tells his family no. You see? He tells them no. And now what they were telling him to do makes perfect sense. They weren't telling him to do anything weird. Anyone would have listened to what, he, what his family was telling him to do. But he said no. I also want you to notice that Jesus points out that his brothers are free. See, he points that out to them. But they're really not free. See, they're really bound by people's opinion because they're doing what they're trying to get him to do, what people would expect him to do. But while Jesus, on the other hand, is in submission to God's will, he's the one who's freed from people's opinions. You see how that happens? Jesus doesn't allow the desire to please people to pollute his love. I'm telling you, a bunch of you left last week, and I know what you did. You went right out there and started working harder in your polluted love. Did you hear what I just said? Jesus did not allow pleasing people to pollute his love. Now, let's just be honest. This room is filled with people who live to please others. That is a fact. And Jesus just said no. Now, listen, there's absolute. I know some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. Good. And now you're understanding why I annoy you so much when you want me to do things and I won't do them. Now, listen. Listen, there's nothing wrong with pleasing people. I love pleasing people. You love, we all should love pleasing people. It's wonderful when we get to do that. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, that's wonderful. But listen, if pleasing people is the driving force of your love rather than the will of your Father, your love is polluted. Your love is polluted. Now, let me tell you how this works. You see, when it comes to how we love, here is the question 
that the church has been asking. What is the most loving thing to do? See, when you don't, you're, you're trying to figure this out. So tomorrow, you're going to encounter somebody or some opportunity or some situation. Or right now, you're convicted right now because God's showing you all the polluted ways that you love and all your jacked up relationships in your life. And so you got to figure this out. And then, so what happens is we ask the wrong question. We ask the question, well, what's the most loving thing to do? So when we encounter this need or this opportunity or this situation or this circumstance, we go, well, what is the most loving thing to do? That is a terrible question for you to ask. Why? Because you have no authority or ability to answer it. If Jesus couldn't answer that question for himself, what in the world would make you think that you could? You see what I'm saying? I mean, there is healing power if we listen. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't ask himself, what's the most love? No. So you're insane if you ask yourself that. Because you can't do what Jesus couldn't do. No. When we are in a situation and we're going, how do I love here? The question is, what's the will of my father? The same question Jesus asked. What's the will of my father? This is, how, this is how children should be taught to, to love their parents, to, to love their siblings. This is how husbands and wives should be taught to love each other. This is how we love each other within the family of Christ. This is how we love those outside. This is how we love our neighbors. This is the blueprint for love in our lives. you got to ask the right question. And I know what you're thinking. Great. How do I know what the Father's will is? Come on. Seriously? The reason our love so often fails is because we have the wrong center of gravity. That's the reason. Listen, I'm, I'm telling you, I know this for a fact. You've worked so hard and tried so hard And your relationships are just polluted. Trying harder is only going to make it worse. The reason that your, your, your idea of love is so skewed from what it should be has nothing to do with effort. That's not the problem. The problem is... You're just going about this the whole wrong way. You have the wrong center of gravity. You and me have to, if we are going, if we're going to be successful as Christians, you understand? I am talking about the most basic tenet of who we are. 
Everything about you hinges on this. If you don't understand what I'm talking about right now, you will fail at every single thing in your life. You will go to the judgment seat of God. If you're saved, you'll stand before the judgment seat of God and everything of your entire life will be burned up. Because the only way it cannot be burned up is if you do it in this love. So you better get this nailed down. You can't do anything. You can't do anything if you don't understand this. And some of you, listen, some of you right now, you just realized your entire journey in Christianity. I just explained it to you. So let's fix it. Let's fix it. Jesus goes on. He says in John 5, he says, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. You see? He's telling us, look, he's telling the unbelieving Jews, look, you can't, you can't do that. He said, I, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? See, because Jesus has the love of God in his heart, he doesn't need love from other sources. That's what he just said. He's not, he's not, he's not run off course in his love. His relationships don't get bound up. In other words, Jesus has fractured relationships with people, but it's always because of them. See, I pray constantly. Like, I mean, listen, I understand this principle. And so you know what that means? That means that I am not going to get along with everybody. Because Jesus didn't. But what I have to constantly watch for is that it's not because of me. Jesus didn't get along with everybody, but it wasn't because of him. But he loved them, and it was always good, or it was strong. See, Jesus navigates this good and strong tension perfectly. So the way the Bible would say it to us would be this way. The foundation of supernatural love is grace and truth. That's good and strong. That's what that is. Because when I love you with strong love, it doesn't feel like love at first because it's truthful. What we all want is we all want grace love. We want good love. And that's, we all want that, and that's good. And that's part of it. But these are the two things that, that there's tension. It's, it's grace and truth. It's compassion and honesty. It's not that we're, we're never dishonest. But you see, like I always say about honesty, you make sure that everything you say is true, but you don't say everything that is true, or you'll never have any relationships with anybody around you. See? 
So, so here's what I'm saying. When it, when it comes to how we love, we say to God, you're the boss. You, you will not move an inch in this principle. You'll just continue down the path you've been on your whole life. Unless you humble yourself before God, you have to deprogram your head. And you have, to, you have to understand that you have zero capacity, zero capacity to supernaturally love anybody. Only God can do that. And you have to submit yourself to that reality. Because if you, if you go into loving with some kind of uh, self-righteousness or some kind of uh, confidence in yourself or your ability, you, you are going to fail miserably there is no formula for this listen i can teach you how to interpret the bible i can teach you how to pray i can't teach you how to love i can show you but i can't teach you it's impossible you have to see it the best my, my greatest opportunities to, to, to show you how to love is when I get to love you. If you don't have anybody in your life that loves you with God's love, it's a tremendous problem because you're this is why community is just, it's non-negotiable. It's absolutely 100% essential to your survival. Go home by yourself, read your Bible 10 hours a day, pray the rest of the hours of the day. You'll be useless. All you will be is a clanging symbol. You'll be useless. You cannot do it alone. It is impossible. It's impossible. So when it comes to love like Jesus, I have to show you. It's, it's shown to me. I show it to others. We show it to each other. We, we, Jesus interpreted his whole life through the lens of his Father. Listen, when you just think about just all, you know, he didn't say love your enemies because that's what love does. That's not what he, no. Go to Matthew 5 and read the passage. He said, love your enemies because that's what my Father does. Every single thing that He says about love, He says, I see my Father do that. My Father modeled that. And I'm the model for you. And so when we get down in 1 Corinthians 13 to verse 8, He says, love never fails. We need to talk about this for a minute. It means that love never collapses in defeat. It's never destroyed. It never falls apart. It never falls short. It never fails to have an effect. The thing is, when you start loving in this way, you'll learn very quickly, never, never, 
ever judge your love by the initial response or reaction. Never. It takes a minute. It takes a minute. But it, it never fails. Now, what is, what is the primary thing the Apostle Paul means when he says that love never fails? What he means is that love, real love, true love, supernatural love, it keeps going. It keeps going. It keeps going. It keeps going. And we know this because of what follows. Notice what follows. Verse 8. Love never fails. Then he tells us about all these things that end, that fail, that stop. He's putting it against things that stop. See, he says, prophecies, they'll pass away. Tongues, they will cease. Knowledge, it will pass away. That's how you know what he means by love never fails. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect has come, the partial will pass away. So the point that Paul's making here is, however useful these gifts that he mentions here may be, and they are, they're temporary and transitory. They're nothing compared to love. They're, they, they're not as important as love because love goes on forever. See, even the most, the greatest giftedness that we have, it ends. But not love. Love keeps going and going and going. So you see, here's what we need to remember. As we try and often fail to love, we're at the very same time being loved by God because He can never be separated we can never be separated from His love. Because I want you to understand something. There, there's no chance. We're not walking out of here today nailing this. No. I mean, I fail at this all the time. I work and I fail and I try and I fail. And I go and I, I take two steps forward and one step back. It's a constant process. My goodness. To have the flesh and the spirit constantly battling within me, trying to love like Jesus loved, that is a... Whew. But listen, it negates some certain things in our life. First of all, a saved person can't say, well, I don't have any love left to give. Lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. Because you've received love that never fails. You've received a love that keeps on going and going and going and going. So if that love keeps going and it's going in you, then you can't say you don't have any love left to give. Because at the very moment that you feel like you don't have any love left to give, which is probably because you're wallowing in your polluted idea of love, even in that moment, you're still being poured into by the invincible love of Jesus. Yes, that never stops. See, at every place in our life where we find it very difficult to love, the love of Jesus is already there and stays there to help us. I mean, listen, it's, it's a lot to take in in one sitting. See, in Christ, when we're born again, what happens is we're permanently connected to a love source that never stops and will never fail. And it's continually renewed again and again within us. 
We just need to interact with it in the right way and understand. Listen. What's the will of my father? How did Jesus love? In situations like this. See, when the Bible says we can never be separated from the love of God. Or that love never fails. Well, it means that his love is invincible, but not for everyone. It's only invincible for those who have it, for those who possess it. For those who want it. See, the thing about this love is this love always wins. It always wins. Always wins. This love, God's love, always wins. The only way that this love doesn't win in our lives is if we don't want it. But you see, even if we don't want it, understand something. His love didn't fail. We failed. His love never fails. It never fails. So I want you to realize something. That today, hell is filled with people. It's filled with people. Because they didn't want God's love. That's the only way you can get there. They wanted a different love. They wanted their version of love. See, God's love didn't fail anyone who's in hell. Their love failed. They tried to come to God on their terms. Or they didn't try to come to Him at all. But what I'm trying to get you to see here is that if this love never fails, that no one is excluded from God's family on a technicality. Do you understand that? No one. You don't have to say the right thing. You don't have to do the right thing. Nobody has ever went to hell on a technicality. The Bible affirms this. See, the Lord is not slow or slack to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. But He's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know what that's a verse about? It's about love. That's the reckless love of God. That he pursues all of us until what? Until we, until the very last second. If we want his love, the thief on the cross wanted his love at the last second. And you know what? He was with him that day in paradise. Look down at 1 Corinthians 13. 
And I want you to see the two words that start chapter 14. The Bible says, pursue love. Pursue it. Pursue it. Understand. It's available. It's available to anyone who will receive it. But you can't change it or modify it or adjust it or morph it or bend it. No. It's perfect love and it never fails. And this impossible mountain of love is the description of what flows into the heart of every believer. Every saved person. This is the love that was shed abroad in our hearts. So maybe as you struggle with love and you, you've, you've grown up in an environment of polluted love and what's been modeled for you has been wrong and you, and you, you know, so many of you, you know the relationships in your life are not right. But you don't know how to fix it. You don't know how did we get here? How did we go so wrong? How did this go so sideways? Sometimes we project that polluted love back towards God and we live in this perpetual state of, of uncertainty and brokenness and struggle. So that even when you hear the, the promises of God, even when you read the promises of God, you don't receive them into your heart the way they're meant to be because your love is just broken. I want you to understand something about love that never fails. Everyone who wants God's love receives it. Everyone. Everyone. If you don't have it, the only reason is because you don't want it. You understand that? It's the only way. You see, that's why the Bible says God so solved the world's problems. God so fixed all the things that were wrong. God so that's why the Bible says that God so loved the world. That's what that means. He loved the world so that whoever would receive, whoever would believe, whoever wants his love, you can have it. All you have to do is want it. And, and listen to me. Some of you in your broken, polluted love right now, this is how you know your love is polluted right now. In your mind, do you know what you're saying to yourself? Well, how do I know if I really want it? What? 
What does that even mean? You never asked yourself that about a Snickers bar. You never asked yourself that about anything else in your life. You never go, you don't hold something in your hand and go, well, now, do I want this or not? You figure it out. It's not some mystery. God's not playing some game to trick you off into hell. Do you want him? Then you can have him. He'll fill you with his love. And do you know how you know whether or not you want his love or your love? And then we're done. How do we know? Oh, we know. We know based on what do you do when you receive it. See, if you want his love, then you receive his love. And the evidence that you've received his love is what you do in response to receiving it. Which means, first and foremost, you get baptized. Because that's what he said to do. And if you don't do that, then you wanted your love. See, the first step will answer that. And then the next step. And the next step. You see, but the first step. The first step. Because listen, you, I'm just telling you. You're going to get nowhere climbing this mountain of love without assurance. You're going to get nowhere. Because it is try, fail, try, fail, try, fail. And so when I fail to love in God's way, I don't think... Do I have God's love? Am I loved by God? No, I know I am. I just know that's the broken nature of being in this fallen shell. But what I want to do more than anything else every day is show the people that I encounter what God's love really looks like. And if me and you can do that, change the world.